This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Muck Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door, including my favourite, the Quarter Pounder with cheese. Mm. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery, so the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get reward points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to episode 274 of the Stacey West podcast. My name is Gary. I am one of your regular hosts. I am always joined by one of our irregular pundits and on this occasion they don't get much more irregular uh, I say that every week. <laughs> I feel like Bruce Forsyth. You're much better, you're much more irregular than last week's pundit. Um, but it's Chris Lamming. How are you doing, mate? <laughs> Hello. Yeah, very well, thank you. And I think irregular is probably a pretty accurate description of me. So I, yeah. I, I think that's absolutely fine, to be honest with you. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, man. I'm good. So obviously we're, we're, we're about the same as when we left each other in the pub in the, uh, the Ivy Club last night at about seven o'clock. Now, at that point, you still had a game uh, this morning, you've obviously been playing for rugby, having made the shock decision to stand down, um, I think, uh, Jurgen Klopp style. But you were going to do a pitch inspection um, in the dark to see if the game should go on or not. Did the game go on? The game did not go ahead. Um, for anyone that knows Lincoln Sunday League at all, rugby football pitch is... Shit. Yeah, it's yeah, synonymous with being pretty uh, unreliable, shall we say, after a little bit of rain. Um, so I mentioned to the to the guys yesterday morning about potential of host life switching it to an away fixture wasn't going to work. Um, so I said I'd pop down there just to kind of have an early look um, the night before. Appreciate it was dark, but you can get a good t- if you if you step on a football pitch and your foot sinks about a foot um, and it's covered in water. I think you can be pretty sure that the pitch is waterlogged. Um, so that's what I did last night. Um, who who were you due to play? AFC West End, and we actually had to cancel the game against them earlier in the season for the same reason. The thing is, I mean, it's good that they didn't set out for the game early, isn't it? All their supporters, the supporters coach from AFC West End didn't set off for Lincoln. You you called the game off early, which I think is the best thing. Exactly. Always putting fans first, eh? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. AFC West End. I think I follow them on Twitter, actually. I don't know. Yeah, they're quite good. They've got a really good Twitter account. Yeah, really good Twitter account. Very active. Not to get them to run mine, maybe. Um, Well, I, uh, I must admit, yesterday, because we're going to talk about what I think was was a great day yesterday mm-hmm. from start to finish. It really was. But it started for me a little bit dubious. And I don't know if you caught the story. You you were 
was it you that was last in or Dave that was last into the Dave um, was last in to the Dave. corn dolly for breakfast. So you did catch the story about my little arsehole of a dog um who found a bag of chocolate Christmas decorations that had been um left on the floor in the spare room as we were packing everything away from Christmas. Um yeah, so I was panicking a little bit because for those who are not not familiar with dogs or chocolate, um they don't go together particularly well and they go together like Ben House and Jaden Stockley you could say um and yeah my dog decided to eat these some of these chocolate things but he wasn't clever enough to rip open the net bag so he was kind of chewing until the chocolate came out of the foil and then sucking what he could through the bag so um he seems to have been all right he seems to have been quite happy with himself oh, that was it was literally like two minutes before I'm due to leave the house. And Fee was like, well, why are you, why are you faffing? Why are you rushing around? It's like, I've got my breakfast in half an hour in rugby and I've got Charlie eating bloody chocolate and might have to go to the vet. It's a nightmare because we don't have kids. Like, like, this, the dog's the most important thing, isn't it? Of course, so, actually. But he's all right. And that's the main thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's, yeah, he survived. So he survived. We got our breakfast. We'll not go too deeply into it, but if you're ever in rugby um, and, and happen to coincide with one of the Corn Dolly's irregular opening hours, um, because it's not open all that often, <laughs> to be fair. I don't know. It's like half nine till one o'clock, unless it's a, what, the second Wednesday of the month and then it closes at lunchtime or something. I don't know. Um, we got ourselves into Lincoln. We got ourselves into Gwyn's. We had a table full of non-alcoholic drinks, uh, even Dave. We got the team news through the Lincoln City and Fleetwood Town, Skybet League One action, uh, and we jinxed it because I always say, isn't it great now we're looking at the team and we're thinking who's going to play where and who, and there were two quite significant injuries. One, we don't know, I mean significant, I mean impact into the first team rather than we don't know quite how long they are yet. Um, one, obviously, very late as well. Hence, there only being six substitutes. So, Ethan Hamilton and Freddie Draper. Let's take them one by one. First of all, Freddie Draper probably would have started alongside Joe Taylor. Um, so, actually, the injury may have worked a little in our favour because it forced our hand uh, a little bit to play somebody who is outstanding. But a bit of a blow for Fred. Yeah, indeed. I love Freddie Draper. I think he's been fantastic. And I think... In relation to Ben House and, and Freddie Draper, I think I've probably made my mind up knowing that that's probably my preferred front two when they're both of it fully fit and available. That's no um, nothing against Joe Taylor. I just I just think they're probably our best two players in terms of how we play at the moment. Um, I've fully expected Fred to start up front and I've fully expected Taylor to come back into the team. Um, so it was a shame. It was a shame that Freddie missed out. But of course, there's always that silver lining that we had we had Ben House. It was quite nice of um, Michael Skubala to kind of clarify the, the, that Fred's injury isn't anything serious at all. It was just a precautionary thing. Um, you can't be too bad because actually, as I was walking into the ground to get into our to get into the turnstiles, Freddie and a couple of the younger lads that weren't in the squad walked past, and he was laughing and joking and skipping along. So he can't be too serious. So yeah, it was a, it was a shame from shame for yesterday because I actually think it's the sort of game that would suit him because. You know, Fleetwood did sit a little bit deeper um, at times, and sometimes you need the ball to when we when you when you're forced to go longer. Yeah, we didn't always make it stick in that in that first half. We did reasonably well, but I think when you have that target, it's probably going to be a bit more noticeable in that type of game than maybe Taylor was. Um, so it was a shame. It was a shame. Yeah, and then Ethan Hamilton missed out as well. A blow, but actually, it kind of goes hand in hand with the 
deadline day business that Ethan Hamilton misses out. And actually, you know, two weeks ago or whatever it is that deadline day was, you'd be going, oh, Jesus, that's a massive blow. Whereas yesterday, it's like, well, Conor McGrandles comes in. And, and our mate Matt made the perfect point about Conor McGrandles, which I think is brilliant. He said, so I was watching on the deadline day. He said, and, uh, Conor McGrandles signing. It's a bit like when you get socks for Christmas, isn't it? You always need socks. He goes and you wear them and they're really important. But it's not a really sexy present, is it? And that's kind of Conor McGrandles. And yesterday we found our Ethan Hamilton socks had a big hole in them. So we needed to wear our Conor McGrandles socks <laughs> instead. Yeah, yeah. Um, I thought Conor was great yesterday. I thought it was good when yeah. he came on against Burton as well. Um, he's quite a similar player to Ethan Hamilton. In terms of their their kind of attributes, they are quite similar. Um, so it was very much a like-for-like replacement and that like you say it just justifies the the transfer deadline day business um it sounds like we were going after him for a while because of the uncertainty at charlton it took a little while for it to conclude um so it certainly wasn't a panic panic signing it was just it took a little while to get over the line and it just fits um, i think we said on on deadline day on our live stream it's maybe not uh, an exciting signing but it's just a really sensible one and it it protects us from this this sort of situation and again skibola came at the end of the game in his interview when asked about Hamilton and said he saw a specialist that it shouldn't be too serious and serious because he was talking about days rather than weeks that he could be out. Um, he said, he don't know whether it'd be a quick turnaround for Tuesday or not, but from what he was saying, it sounded like neither of them were, were particularly serious, needed to worry about. It was just meant there was out today, but Hamilton may be out on Tuesday, but it was inconclusive. It sounded like Freddie probably be all right for Tuesday. So yeah, nothing too long-term touch wood, thankfully, um, which is a bit of a, a pleasant surprise when it comes to injury news because we've had some some tough ones recently. So, yeah, as much as it impacted the starting eleven yesterday, it doesn't sound like it's going to impact our starting eleven or our squad too much in the coming weeks. Now, the first half took me more than two thousand words to write up, and I usually do around a thousand per half. So there's an awful lot for us to comb through and and pick the bones from. Um, but we'll start with the general perception that um, it was a poor first half. Now, Craig Robertson, great guy, love him to pieces, lives in Louth, really sit and have a drink with him, great crack, but we disagree on almost everything to do with football, almost everything. He's the white stripe, I'm the red stripe. You know, when we're on a shirt together, it's fine, but there's a definite difference and, you know, mixes together would be pink. So I don't know what that says about us. Um he basically said, I can't wait for, I hope Stacey West, meaning me, is going to use the headliner game of two halves because the first half was awful. Gav Hughes, who sits behind me, another great guy, lent in his, I mean, Chris can see me, nobody else will be able to, but he's lent like this first half, hand, head on one side, hand on one side of his head. Oh, this is awful, guys. This is awful, guys. Um, it wasn't awful. Now, I know that you're you're desperate to pick apart the myth, but I'll give my opinion, first of all. Because I'm without the numbers, and I know you're you're backing it up with numbers, which is going to be brilliant. But I use the Jack Mulhall eye test because Jack loves it. If it looks crap, it's crap. If it looks good, it's good. I looked at that. We were putting balls into the box. We were dominating possession, which we rarely do. We were playing against a team who were well organised at the back, who had very very few chances going forward. Um, we worked hard, and towards the middle section of the half. There was one moment where I think the support or a large amount of the support turned because Rico got the ball. He went to play it. He put his foot on the ball. Everything stopped. And it was like it was like pandemonium. It was like lighting a misery bomb next to me. There's, there was a car, the Unstoppable Sex Machine album called Worry Bomb. This was Misery Bomb. 
because all of a sudden it's get it forward, there's no pace, ah, it's crap. Um, and they scored a couple of minutes after, which just exasperated it. But it kind of created this narrative that the first half was poor. The first half wasn't poor, was it? The first half, actually, we've both looked at the numbers, was the best in 365 days. Yeah. Um, and I don't think we actually had a chance to chat at halftime yesterday. We normally have a message or two, don't we? But I, I would say that around me, it was probably a similar feeling. And not with everybody, um, I have to admit, but there was, there was certainly a few people around me that at halftime were saying that it was it was re- like really poor. And I was like, and I, like you, thought, no. Just no, it, was, it wasn't at all. I thought it was genuinely good. Not even okay. I thought it was good. Um, I think sometimes the scoreline can taint your opinion of what the rest, the other 45 minutes were like, apart from that minute, or actually like 10 minutes, it felt like for them to score the goal, they'd finish their celebration. Um, but <laughs> yeah, apart from that little part of the game, I thought it was, was genuinely good. But it just skew, it skews your um, it skews your perception a little bit. Um, just a quick point before we touch on the numbers, because um, you mentioned that Rico moment. Um, I actually, when I read your article earlier, I, I didn't even really notice that too much in regard to the... Um, the turn in the crowd, but there was there was definitely a few moments where there was some moans and groans when we went backwards. And just like I just want to kind of bring up a point. Now this comes more from Charlie because Charlie was at the fans forum on Thursday, um, and he's kind of reported back. But there's one thing that he mentioned that I thought was brilliant for Michael Skubala to share with the fans when he was explaining the match plan, basically uh, how we play. And he was explaining the importance of sometimes having to go back or to slow the game down, put your foot on the ball. And, um, and we're going to touch on this later um, when we scored our second goal. The ball through from Ted was great, but it was only good because he put his foot on the ball and baited someone to press him, which created the space for the pass to come through. It's so, so important when, it, when you're playing against a team that's condensed and, and compact and deep to create space somehow. And sometimes by slowing it down the attack, baiting someone to come to press you and or going back deep to a centre-back and recycling for the same reason, that then creates space to get into And it's just, it's just, um, I think it's just having a little bit of respect of that side of the game because we're supporters, we're there to support the team. And I understand the frustration, we all want to win, we all want to see chances and we all want to see goals. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's going to be packed. They were organised defensively on the whole, I thought, Fleetwood, um, despite the number of chances we created. Then you've got to create space somehow. Um, so I think it was just interesting that Michael Skubala specifically pointed it out and, and made a, a point of kind of explaining it to people on Thursday night. I really hope there's going to be a, some sort of uh, YouTube video or something from the fans forum so everyone can that wasn't there can kind of watch that back. Um, so yeah, in terms of that little moment, I think I think that's just a, a good point to make. But yeah, so we we discussed this briefly last night, um, and then. We like to look at the stats before we do a recording, as you as you say. Of course, we do, um, and it's quite nice. I have to say, it's always quite nice when the stats do back up the eye test because we both felt at half time yesterday it was it was a decent first half. Yeah. You go, if you go in at nil nil, you you think, oh, well, that was a good first half. We dominated that on the whole. Just got to kick on a little bit in the in, in the second half, and we'll be fine. But it was just a poor goal to concede, and and uh, and it skews your perception. So. Do you want to go through some numbers or shall I? Because I've been talking for about three minutes. Well, there. let's let's both go through some numbers because I picked a couple of numbers um, that I particularly liked. Um, and they were, let me just find them because they are in a chat and they are in a chat with you. Um, so I, I I, kind of, I like, it's how you, de- you de- define attacking intent. 
And I think that's the key as to whether the numbers say we've had a good half or not. Is attacking intent shots on target? Yes or no? Yes, it is to a degree, but it's not just that. That's the final action, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's It's getting there, isn't it, Zach? It's crosses into the box. It's touches in the box. What gets you off your seat? Dad, halfway through the first half, Dad said to me, it's not a game to get you off your seat, is it? So I think, what gets you off your seat? It's balls into the box. What, if, a, if a cross goes across the front of the goalkeeper and a striker attacks it and nobody touches it, you're still kind of, oh, go on. Yeah. If a player, and there's zero XG attached to that because exactly. no one actually has a shot. But we put the ball in the box loads in the first half, didn't we? If, yeah, we did. And if a player dribbles into the box as well and he's got the ball at his feet and he's in the box, you go, oh, go on, and you're up. So I've looked at touches in the box and crosses. And in the first half, we put 15 crosses into the box. And the last time that we did that in a league game was Bristol Rovers when we won one nil a year ago. And in the first half, we had 13 touches in the box. And again, it's the, the highest number of touches in the box that we've had um, since February the 11th last year. And so I think for me, that tells me that we were doing something right. The final action wasn't quite there, but that tells me that in terms of attacking intent, in terms of the changes of Scrubala uh, ball, as we jokingly say, for me, that they were the defining numbers. You, I think, went for some different numbers. I did, but I'm just going to touch on yours a little bit because um, do you mentioned touches in the box? Because that, that's I think that's probably the most important one for me in terms of if you have more touches in the box, you're more likely to have sustained possession and, and pressure. And we know if you have sustained pressure, you're likely to score. That's how we scored a goal against Wickham in the end. We just have had pressure after pressure after pressure. So our season average this season is 12 touches in the box over a course of 90 minutes. Now, that has improved under Michael Skibala, but that's our average, including all of Mark Kennedy's, all of Tom Shaw's and all of um, Michael Skibala's so far. So that number of 12 actually includes the improvement as well. Um, Our previous high over 90 minutes was 20. I think that was against Wickham, potentially against Port Vale. Those are the two games that kept coming up when I looked at the comparisons. Um, we had 19 yesterday in the first 45 minutes. 28 overall, by the way. Um, but 19 in the first half. So we were only one short of our highest over 90 minutes. We touched in the box in just 45. Um, but the one that really oh, stood I, out to I, me... I thought, I thought I'd got 15, but sorry, go on. Oh, sorry, maybe 15. But ultimately, it's not far away from our, yeah, yeah. our 90-minute um, high. But also our first half total was above our average. And I think that just says a lot. But the big one that stuck out to me was a stat called positional attacks. So positional attack is quite simply an attack, um, which is not which is an open play, which isn't a counter-attack. So it's not a set piece. It's not a counter-attack, but it's an attack that you built. Um, we had 29 positional attacks in the first half yesterday. Um, 51 in the whole game which both of those, once again, were the highest compared to any game this season um, by quite some margin. How many positional attacks do you think Fleetwood Town had? Bear in mind, we had 29. Uh, well, it would be it would be remiss of me to say because I've got Y Scout with the attacking indices right in front of me now. So <laughs> I'll hazard a guess, one positional attack with no shots. Correct. Yes, one. So we had 29 attacks from open play compared to Fleetwood's single attack, which didn't result in a goal. Um, you combine that with counter-attacks, um, they go up to a total of three, um, three attacks in total. So they only attacked three times in 45 minutes and, of course, scored one goal from one of those counter-attacks um, from a defensive mix-up from us, whereas we had a 29. 
Now, we only had two shots at the end of those 29. Um, and we had a few shots off set pieces as well. But ultimately, you can't deny that we showed significant attacking intent in the first half, more than we have in any time this season. And that's the one thing that we were criticising Mark Kennedy for. It was not the defensive solidity. That has always been fine. It was our attacking intent. And that it was, it's the best it's been. So, yeah, the perception that the first half was poor is factually incorrect. Simple as that. It's factually incorrect. <laughs> it is. And it can, but I understand why it's skewed, because they scored a goal. It was a poor goal to concede. You think, bloody hell, you know, it's 1-0 at half-time against a team that on paper we should be beating. It must have been bad then. Um, it just wasn't. But it, wasn't. it just wasn't. No, the 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 numbers that you said were penalty area entries, which are actually runs and crosses, were eighteen, which I think is the highest. Um, I think that's where that came from. Whereas touches in the penalty area, thirteen. They had one touch in the penalty area, and that was their goal from Mama Cherry, um, which we'll come on to, because it was just one of those moments where I thought play had stopped. Yeah, same. The, ball, the ball's come over. Sean Rowan steps back because he thinks that Jensen's coming for it. Jensen stays put because whatever was going through his mind at the time. And I'm a cherry. I mean, all these Christmases must have come at once. And and their um, their comms afterwards. They were interviewing Charlie Adam, and their comms said, "Oh, you know, isn't it great how well Stockley and Omicherry linked up?" And did they? Did they? Uh, one move, <laughs> a, a ball over the top, which ball was over the top. Yeah, should have been easy. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I mean, the Burton was saying it last year about the big lump Hudlin and um, the Adabomi, I think his name is, isn't he? The lad from Palace said they were linking up well, which, you know, the reason the, the, I think that bias sometimes from, from club comms. Um, but it, it's a bad goal to concede. We get that. We understand that. Jensen's pulled us out of the doo-doo on many occasions. In the second half, he stops an effort from Stockley that, um, according to the xg numbers was as good as a penalty so he, he levels out you can't get mad i may attach no blame to rowan i think it's just one of those one of those things yeah um as you know part of the keepers union but yeah no 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 break no no blame at all attached to sean rowan here he couldn't do any more um no. your goalkeeper has to take charge of that situation all it is is a shout or it's a it's a it's a decision if he has no shout he comes out and clears the ball even if he heads it away you, you know I, I appreciate i think the 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 reason he stopped is because he wanted to wait for the ball to get in the 18 yard box so he could use his hands rather than come out and just clear it. Um, but you just come out and clear it and, and you give a big old shout. And it's, but he's, he's like you say, what in at half time, put his hands up. You, you can't say fairer than that. He's, he's won his points this season and he, he arguably did later in the later in the game for us, even yesterday. So, you know, it happens. He's a League One goalkeeper. He's been really good for us this season. Um, you let him have one or two mistakes this season. I think that, that happens at the top level. So, yeah, that, that was that. But it, Going in one nil down felt unjust, to be honest, at half time. Um, but that certainly changed. I think our perception of what the second half could bring was changed um, a few moments before half time. Yeah, I do wonder if we would be quite as easy on Jensen if we'd lost one nil rather than one two one. That's a fair it's point. That, it's the situational bias, the opposite situational bias from the first half, where there's a perception the first half wasn't great because we lost it 1-0, but we are we going too easy on him? But yeah, there was the moment, I mean, you talk there about putting your hands up, um, and I think that that might be partly uh, Lowell's issue on uh, second glance. So minute into injury time, we know pandemonium. Now, watching it back, we, I've had the, the, I mean, it's the, I've used Scout, but you could use iFollow to watch the entire incident back from start to finish. It starts before Jensen's got the ball because 
House and Stockley are already in a little wrestling match. And on that occasion, it's Stockley that's going to be coming into the area. So it's House probably doing a block, but it's a block. It's not a wrestling move. Then when we try and break quickly, Stockley does the same to House. But in this instance, it's an arm around, it's a pull, it's it, it's whatever. They go to ground, there's a melee. You can't really see what happens from where I was sitting. Um, it looked probably nastier than it did on the replay. It looked like there might have been some arms flailing and elbows flailing and a bit of kicking out and all that sort of stuff. So, uh, you know, you maybe used to call it handbags in the pre-woke era, um, but I'm not sure you're allowed to do that now. Uh, so the referee takes his time. I thought he had a good game. Daniel Middleton did well. It was always going to book House and Stockley. There's an argument that Stockley holding the player and deliberately stopping him from going past is a yellow in its own right before they have the wrestle. But it would have probably reflected badly on the referee had he sent Stockley off and not House because it was a kind of an evolving situation. And I think when you put into context the fact that House had blocked the run into the area, mm -hmm. fair. Lino then calls him over. He goes over to the Lino, and that, at that point you think, hey, something else has gone off here. And there were some arms being thrown, some punches being thrown. Raham gets booked, probably rightly so. Lawal gets booked. Now, my first point is Lawal committed the exact type of foul that I've been complaining about for now a couple of weeks on Ted Bishop, middle of the park. I've watched a replay. It's an arm around, comes back around the neck. It's Paudi O'Connor against Exeter Bad. He's on a yellow card. Whether the referee mistook him for Omicheri or not, He's in the middle of it. There's one point where he's raised two hands. You can see it quite clearly on the picture I've put on the Stacey West. He's raised two hands to push a player away. Mistaken identity or not, I don't know if there's a huge amount they can complain about the red card. He, know, the question I'm going to put to you is, first of all, was the right outcome reached around Stockley and House? And secondly, was it mistaken identity in your opinion or not? Okay. So answer number one, yeah, I think Harrison Stockley, that's really sensible refereeing just to book them both there. And if it wasn't for the what happened afterwards, it's probably a fair result. It keeps players on the pitch and it's yeah, no, no one's going to complain about that outcome. Unless you're obviously supporters, well, you're, you're going to have be biased either way. But I think objectively, it was probably a sensible decision. Now, yeah, I... I I've watched it back quite a lot because you, you shared it obviously re recently with me and um, I've watched it back a lot. And I don't think Fleetwood are going to be able to um, appeal this for no. mistaken identity. But I do actually think there's a potential that it is. Um, the reason I don't think they can appeal for it is what you mentioned about the well. He does get involved with um, with the melee. He, he pushes, um, uh, I don't know who he pushes, he pushes somebody. But at the same time, if he's booking one person as part of that little melee, he should probably be booking 10 players. Um, there was then a moment, uh, not so long, or while well, that was kind of going on, where Armachere and Irahan are specifically, just, just the two of them that have kind of got, I think, their heads, I don't know if they're together, but they're kind of towards each other. The referee then comes over and books Irahan, which I assumed was for that individual moment, which was quite separated to the original melee. So it makes sense for the liner to be watching that little... Um, moment because the ref's probably got his eye on the melee and then the ref comes along to book Lawal um, and it just didn't make a huge amount of sense and then of course the fact that you know you're saying he took his time to book to check to check his book and to see if he's put the name down already but my perception is the ref would already know that should already know that 
if it looks to me like there's a few players going, hang on, you've already, you've already booked him, you've already booked him. And then he realises, he then checks his notes and then he puts the red card up. So in summary, uh, I, I think what the referee is meant to do is book Amachere, book Irahan, book House, book Stockley, end it, go in at halftime, relax, keep everyone on the pitch. What's actually happened is he's is mistaken Amachere and Lawal. And uh, what's happened, happened. Um, but I think there's enough for the ref to kind of justify a yellow card for Lowell. Even if that wasn't the intended action in the moment, I think there's enough there to justify it retrospectively so it doesn't look like mistaken identity, if that yeah. makes sense. If it's mistaken identity, it's either the ref or the line-out. The double-checking of the book and producing the red makes you think it's the ref who's made the mistake. Um, but it could be the lino. But the the lino is right there when Lawal raises his arms, and it's Joe Taylor and Adam Jackson, I think, are the two players that are in front of him as he raises his arms. It would be harsh, but he does. So there's justification. Now, something that I found really interesting in that moment was Pordy O'Connor. Now, I think Pordy was lucky to be on the field, and I don't know. I think he's really lucky because his challenge on Stockley midway through the first half was nasty. It studs up and he's lunged. It was. It was um, also unnecessary. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah. I, th- I thought that was actually... I thought Paul had a good game overall, but I thought that moment, both Joe and I, who, who sit next to me, we said, oh, he's got to be bloody careful. Like, he's just come back into the team. Don't need to dive in like that, Paulie. You know, Do just... you know why he's done it? He's done it because of... And I'm going to... Because it's, because it's Jaden Stockley. Yeah, Stockley was elbows the whole time. And, and that's yeah. proven because later on in the game, we talk about it. He spreads Adam Jackson's nose across his face with an elbow. He's already on a yellow card. The ref's right there watching it, doesn't do anything about it. Had he not already sent off Lawal, I think Stockley walks personally Agreed. in that game because I think that we, we got under his skin. But in the melee, Pordy did exactly what I think a captain should be doing. Shouldn't be putting his arm around the player against Exeter and pulling him back by his neck. Should be leading by example. Every time one of our players went to the referee, he was dragging him away. He was telling him. Jensen went in, he moved him away. He pushed House to the referee. He moved everybody away. I thought Pordy had actually a really good game yesterday. And he even delivered a couple of decent crosses. You know when a centre-half delivers a cross? And I, I duck and I'm behind him. You think this could go <laughs> literally anywhere. Um, but he delivered some good crosses. So, look, that that's the melee. We've picked over that. We're nearly at half an hour again. I mean, <laughs> do do there was this? a lot more to talk about this first half than there is in lots of games we've had before. So, I think this is justified this time. Yeah, Just and I think the second half's a little bit different. So, I do think that the half-time change from um, Fleetwood reflected on the cherries because actually they were talking about how well he's done in the first half and how well he linked up with Stockley. They brought him off at half time. And I don't think that had anything at all particularly to do with the with the game because they're, they're still two biggish players. The ball could still stick to them even though they've gone down to 10 men. I think it was tactical personally because mm. they were three five two for the majority of the game and then they um then they went the three three sorry they went five three one so you know, I don't think I'm a cherry play centre midfield. I think you're playing you play it was a front two or three, and of the two, you're probably going to play Stockley compared to Amacheri. Yeah. In yeah, terms okay. of in terms of that. Like that, um. So I yeah, I think I just didn't, assumed it was more tactical than anything. Didn't work from though, did it? Because I mean, <laughs> nah, we, we, no, we came out arguably for the best 15 minute spell. Um, I think I'd seen uh, of a Lincoln City game 
this season. That might not be true, thinking about Charlton and, and, and Barnsley. But we came out, we went at them. Um, I mean, the goals, both good team goals. Now, I'll come on to the Bishop one in a second. She said he held the ball up. And, and looking at the replay, it actually looked like a little free kick that he threaded through. Was it he was holding the ball up? Anyway, that's oh, the second I, I thought goal. I thought it was a short pass to, to Ted and then he... Uh, okay, okay, that, 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 that may the, be the case. The press, the greatest space for the pass, but we'll, we'll, yeah, yeah. Whatever. I mean, the first goal is brilliant because it's O'Connor from centre half out to Rowan, Rowan down the channel to Rico, Rico with a the sort of cross the centre forwards. They don't if they unwrap that on Christmas Day, they'd think it was the best present they've got. But it's still a great header because it's not central. He's slightly at an angle. He's got a little bit of time to pick, but you've still got to beat the keeper. And we've seen his missed quality headers over the last couple of weeks. Adam Jackson's missed one. I seem to think, did Pordy miss one late on against Burton, potentially? Um, it's the best-headed goal we've seen this season. And it, oh, capped God, off, yeah. it capped off what was an absolutely phenomenal 67 minutes from Ben House, considering prior to this, he's played 30 minutes in five months. Oh, it's so good to have him back. He's brilliant, isn't he? He had a great game, particularly <laughs> in the first half. Like his, he's like he didn't have a huge amount of opportunity to get the ball um, at his at his feet in the first half. A bit, you know, a couple of decent runs and some real tight. I like his tight control in, in tight areas. He's really good at that. But he nicked it off a centre half two or three times, and it's just, it just, it lifts the crowd. You know, in that moment, doesn't it? You know, you think, oh, I won the ball back up in their third. We've got an attack now. When they should be attacking, we're attacking. It's brilliant. He's great at it, and it was just yeah, caps off. What well, must have been a real challenge in a few months for him. Um, so, yeah, a great moment for everybody. But I thought we came out in the second half with real intent. Um, yeah. And, and I keep comparing like Michael Scubala to Mark Kennedy. And it, every time I do, it always looks worse and worse on Mark Kennedy. Um, but I think, you know, if we uh, go in at halftime, 1-0 down against 10 men under Mark Kennedy, we might get something out of the game. I'm not saying we wouldn't have. But I don't think we create as much as we did. I don't think we have the same attacking intent that we showed, um, I was really confident uh, within a couple of minutes of the second half kicking off that we were going to go ahead and win the game still because I felt we were using our man advantage really well, creating the space all over the pitch. And it felt like a matter of time rather than it was a when we were going to score rather than if. And bearing in mind, we haven't seen the home goal for a few weeks. To have that feeling was was a real delight. And then, yeah, what a, what a ball in from Rico. Great header. Um but we've been on, we were on the ascendancy for the for the whole few minutes leading up to that, and then straight after as well, we kept going. Yeah, we did. Second half touches in the penalty area, fifteen penalty area entries, twenty one. Um, we'd seen two goals uh, at Sinsel Bank in five games, I think, which is Reading, Northampton, Peterborough, Derby, and there's another one. I can't remember what it was. I did list them. Yeah, so it's five Bolton, Bolton. Of course, yeah. So five goals in uh, two goals in five games. We saw two goals in five minutes. Both of them created by the wicked wand of the West, Rico Hackett's <laughs> left peg. I mean, uh, honestly, we could we're going to talk about Ted Bishop, who was excellent. Now he has to be excellent in order to not um in order to beat Rico to the man of the match yesterday because when Rico's on the ball something happens okay sometimes it's a stumble sometimes he kind of he, he gets into a little bit of trouble but you know more often than not he results in a cross I am looking at those penalty area entries 21 I just wonder if I click on that if it tells me who um penalty area so Rico Hackett and two of the 21 five are Rico Hackett and five are Lass Sorensen which by the way shows that the 
the setup is working because the two players that are meant to come in with the crosses, most of those will be crosses. Um, Pal Puddy O'Connor on four. Um, but it was it was a good cross. I know it was flicked over by their keeper. And then Lass Sorensen absolutely smashed it. And if there's anybody you want to get the winner uh, other than Ben House, probably, it's Lass. Because his smile yeah. lights up the night, doesn't it? It lights up it's... the gloom. You could use his smile to navigate through the seas at night, through the choppy seas. Because, uh, yeah, great finish. Yeah, great finish. Just a really good goal. But it was a credit to us to keep pushing. Keep pushing after we'd scored the first. We weren't settling for that. We were going to get another one. And um, it was the ball through from Ted. Like, Rico still had a lot of work yes. to do. You know, he had to be yeah. one-on-one, ball through, um, and obviously gets it over to, to, to last. But it's the ball through from Ted that was just superb. And that that's what I kind of wanted, the point I wanted to make from the disgruntlement earlier that you mentioned in the first half when Rico um, slowed the game down. Like, you have to create space somehow. If, if Ted just tried to pass that first time through, it gets intercepted. It only gets through there because he he baits the press. Because because Fleetwood are in a, in, a, in a good defensive block. They don't want to create a space. But when someone just got there with a foot on the ball, you, well, you're not going to stand that that for half an hour, are you? Someone has to engage. You tempt them to do it. When you do that, you create space for the pass. And it was a brilliantly threaded ball through. It really was. Um, and then Rico and, and Lasted did the rest. And it was just a brilliant moment. And then from that point, there was no doubt who were going to win the game. Well, in my mind, though, of course, Fleetwood had a really good chance just moments later. Yeah, they did. Yeah, They did a great chance, a good save. Um, so we had 28 touches in the penalty area over the 90 minutes. 17 of those touches were Ben House and Rico Hackett. Ben House on nine, Rico Hackett on six. Now, that is almost a little bit of a defence of Mark Kennedy, perhaps, as well, because you've lost two players that were... Mark Kennedy, one was a Mark Kennedy signing. The other was a Mark Kennedy change from midfield to attack, which is where he shifted Ben House into attack. Although, interestingly, a club insider did tell me, I think, um, back at the beginning of last season, that the that Mark Kennedy saw Ben House as a, an attacking midfielder and the club saw him as a striker. I think it was that way round. And there was some debate as to whether we needed to sign the attacking midfielder or the striker. And I think we signed Luke Plange rather than signing an attacking midfielder and playing Ben House up there. But anyway, that's by the by. So I thought that was really, um, really interesting. And those penalty area entries, 39 over the course of the entire game. Um, eight for Rico Hackett, eight for Lass Sorensen, eight for Pordy O'Connor. Yeah. Really interesting. I imagine the majority of that was second half, was it? Because he, those outside, him and Rowan, the outside centre-backs, got themselves forward a lot even yeah, in an open did, play. Yeah. And they both delivered balls into the box. I'm surprised it's that high, I'll be honest. But you, you mentioned earlier that you... You know the, the amount of times that Porter did knock the ball back into the box, so it was just a really good performance in the second half. And you know yeah. it's against ten men, but we absolutely dominated it, uh, particularly from one nil down to two one up. That's that fifteen minute stretch where we had to really, as as Scubala says, push the game. Uh, we really had to kind of put the pressure on them and ask questions of them and, and and not really give them a kick. And we scored two goals in that in that moment in time. And then from that point, after an initial scare directly after our goal. Fleetwood didn't really have, have a kick, didn't really have a chance. I wouldn't say it was completely comfortable for us, but I, I didn't feel particularly worried at any point that Fleetwood were going to get back into the game after that initial chance they had straight after our second goal. Um, but we managed the game well from that. Because from that point, Fleetwood have to be quicker, have to have more intensity, have to come out yeah. a little bit more. So what we want to do is not play into that kind of um, that kind of end-to-end 
that's what you want when you're a goal down. We we did it at the start of the second half, but from that point, that's when you right, let's just take our time. You do want to get the ball, take an extra touch here, take an extra touch there, slow down the set pieces a little bit. Um, and I thought we managed the game really well from that point. Um yeah, again, we, that's two weeks in a row that we managed the game well. We did. Um I I said I mean I said at half time we'll win this to Steve who sits behind me. I felt like even at half time, I just thought we'd been the better side up until the goal. I thought the red card then we were just gonna come out and and, and dominate. We came out and dominated those first 15 minutes. Interestingly, our two goals only account for 0.25 of our XG, and our XG was 2.27. So by rights, we should we could have probably scored at least one more goal on top of that which we are, I say we'll come on to, but we won't because we're 38 minutes in already. So we will move on shortly. Um, but it was, yeah, it was, we just, it, we played well in the second half. We did what we needed to do. Um, we let them have a little bit of possession. Obviously Jensen kept us in it. McGrandles could be easily have scored. Joe Taylor had a good opportunity. There's two more great opportunities for Ben House. Um, I, we know we picked Ted Bishop for man of the match. You've, you've more or less just explained why based on that pass, which had shades of Marriott against Arnold, shades of it. It was kind of that threaded Marriott and for Arnold against Ipswich. It was just threaded through. It was beautiful. Um, we've shouted Rico as well. I want to also mention Conor McGrandles because the biggest compliment I can give Conor McGrandles yesterday is didn't look like he'd ever been away. He mm-hmm. slotted in to the Skabala team and the Ethan Hamilton role to a point where actually you're sitting there thinking, well, is it Ethan Hamilton? Because he it was just there was he do you remember McGrandles has been with the with the site with the team what 11 days? He's played however many minutes, 10, 15 minutes at the end of the game last week. And yet he turned in the sort of performance yesterday that was just classic Conor McGrandles from the promotion season, where Stacey West Readers voted in player of the year. Yeah, you know, we had a good opportunity, he could have scored. I thought he showed some real um experience the way he was taught he was always talking he was always kind of in players ears he had that real confidence about him i thought he was excellent yesterday agree 100 percent. it was like he's never away one player i'd like to mention as well if that's okay and that's sean rowan yeah. i think sean rowan's just been so consistent more than anything over the last since he's come back into the team under michael scubarlo because he has to be patient to get back into the team um, and when he has he's been undroppable to be honest and i think it gets overlooked because other players have outstanding like on ball um, performances. Sean's one-to-one defending, it, I think, has never really been in doubt. Certainly this season, it's his best attribute. Um, I thought in possession he was brilliant yesterday. Bearing in mind he, his, his short passing is, is, is good, but his his kind of signature pass, if you like, is um, the player kind of being baited onto him and he clips it just down the line and behind it, for someone yeah. to run onto. Sean Rowan had the most successful passes out of anyone on the pitch yesterday. His quality. Quality. Yeah. Twenty years uh, old as well, isn't he? Twenty-one. Yeah, yeah. It looks like a seasoned pro. And um, yeah. I think one thing that you could maybe have criticised him for historically, which is one or two individual errors here and there, um, and maybe when he did make those individual errors, which everyone makes now, and, and it was maybe his reaction to those that, and it, you know, you have to get him off the pitch after that point. He's never really going to settle himself down. Like Jensen made an error, for example, first half, but then was brilliant second half again, and, and didn't let it bother him. And, and you have to get it out of your mind. And I think Sean Rowan has just really matured in the last few months, really. Um, and he's a real asset to us. And, and him playing in that you know, quite tactically diverse role of a left centre-back in some phases, left-back in some phases, knowing when to tuck in, knowing when to push on. Um, I think I think he's a, a real asset and I'll add some real balance to us in that part of the pitch. And I just wanted to mention that because I think it gets overlooked a little bit. Yep, absolutely. Um, right, I think that we ought to go to a quick advert break. We could get stuck all day. I'm just looking at 
crosses um, this season. Rico Hackett typically crosses 2.47 per game, 3.5% success rate, whereas against Fleetwood, 10 crosses, 6 accurate. I mean, it's uh, in fact, is that, that might even just be in halves. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Look, we'll go to an advert break. Might be an advert, might not be. It might just be a player saying, hi, I'm whoever, and you're listening to Stacey West Podcast. And we will do it. Ted didn't do it, so we'll do it with Rico, and we'll be back in a second. Um, can I have a toilet break, please? Yes, of course. <laughs> when you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door, including my favourite, the Quarter Pounder with cheese. Mm. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery, so the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hi, I'm Rico Hackett and you're listening to the Stacey West podcast. Back again. Um, So very, very quickly, Charlie Adam. Um, is the Fleetwood manager? They like to they like to pick players who were a little bit controversial and, and aggressive as as managers, don't they? Scott Brown and Joey Barton and uh, bloody oh yeah, they, they do get through them. It's almost as if they're a, a club that likes the controversy. That surely can't be the case, can it? Um, to Charlie Adam post game, Fleetwood are one of these clubs that don't seem to get covered by a local paper. So I had to go on their website and listen to it. I can't be asked to write it down. The general consensus was from Charlie Adam that the referee has cost them the game. It's absolute mistaken identity. He was under the impression that Stockley was fouled in the run-up to um, the melee, whereas I'm pretty sure we got the free kick. Uh, But he did say that it was Stockley wrestling with our defender, which shows a real um, lack of basic grasp of our players. But it could just be the heat at the moment. He was talking about appealing it. As we've said, I don't really think we've got much ground. Very, very little talk about Lincoln. And do you know what? Sometimes I respect a manager more for that. Yeah, we had a little moan about the referee and then he talked about his players and his team. And that's what I expect. I don't expect a a manager to come out. Paul Warren was effusive in his praise of Lincoln and it's always nice. And we all go, oh, what a great guy. Yeah, he's brilliant. He's praised us and all of that because we're all fickle and easily pleased as football fans when people say nice things. Are we not? Indeed, yeah. I I just like Paul Warren, though. So I think whenever he says something nice about us, it feels always a little bit more... Um, we like positive. Paul Warren. Yeah, I do. I like Paul Warren. But yeah, Charlie Adam, I think I, I I do think he has a right to feel aggrieved in that there probably was an element of mistaken identity. Lowell didn't need to get involved. If he was miles away from the melee in the first place on a yellow card, it doesn't get mistakenly identified if that is indeed what's happened. I don't agree with him that the referees cost them the game. Of course, he's made it diff- more difficult by sending somebody off. I actually still think we would have won the game against 11 v 11 in the second half. Fair enough. Um, and one last one on Fleetwood, because obviously they're they're in the mire, aren't they, at the minute? I, I can't, off the top of my head, I can't think of how many um, 
points they are adrift but they are second from bottom they are what six points from safety um having played two games more than the two teams directly above them they have scored just 13 goals at home all season will they stay up on yesterday's showing no um Is the it because... players i quite like i know what you're going to get what you're going to say i quite liked um Brendan Wiredu, their centre back. I thought he was a decent yeah. player, but I think I think they've got enough to stay in games. I just don't. I can't see them. They, they, they created nothing. The only, the only, the only, they scored their goal from a defensive area from us. Can't rely on that to keep you up. So yeah, I think they're probably getting far. They're far enough away now. Not to say it's a foregone conclusion, but I think they're going to certainly struggle. And I'll let you have the last ah. uh, line on this little statement. Waredo is the guy who was at Colchester. He is, yeah. He played centre mid yeah. for Colchester, but he's been more of a centre-back for Fleetwood. Yeah, you see, I quite liked Kilkenny in the middle of the park, who they signed. I think he's um, on loan from Bournemouth. Bournemouth. Mm. I thought he had a, I thought he had a decent game for them. I don't like Stockley. I was really impressed with Omicheri last time we played them. I wasn't particularly impressed with him um, this time. I thought Ryan Broom was quiet, but he seemed to be playing wing-back, Ryan Broom, at one point. Right wing-back, I seem to think. Yeah. Because when he was left-footed. But isn't that because they sold their right back and didn't replace them and didn't have a right back? They haven't got a, a recognised right back at the club. They're preparing for life in League Two, in my opinion. And they will be a decent League Two side, uh, but they are going down this campaign. And credit Ben <clears throat> uh, for um, picking them to go down. But he also yeah. picked Stephen to go down and Lincoln to go up. So, you know, there we go. If we are going to go up and we're 12 points outside the playoffs and somebody last night, I don't know who it was. It might have been you. It might have been somebody in the Ivy or something went 12 points. from the, It was you, wasn't it? I could see by your smile. 12 points from the playoffs and a raised eyebrow. It's not going to happen. <laughs> but if it was going to happen, it's going to happen by us consistently winning games. And the next opportunity we have to win a game comes against Charlton Athletic uh, this, week, uh, this week on Tuesday. Charlton Athletic, who have not won since the 28th of November which is the same position we were in, by the way, last Saturday, but there we go. So they beat Charlton that night. Uh, they're the same Charlton Athletic that have only won, I think, three league games since we beat them. Two league games since we beat them at our place. Um, that were knocked out of the FA Cup uh, by... Where's that gone? It wasn't Cray Valley, was it? They beat them. Gillingham, lower league Gillingham, 2-0. I knew that was that. Who have lost one, two, three... Four, five, six, seven, eight of their last ten games. Banana skin, isn't it? It's interesting because it's Charlton Athletic. If this was any other team that wasn't the size of Charlton Athletic, um, didn't have a big name manager that they've got and didn't have the players that they've got on paper suggesting they've got a good team. I had them in the playoffs, by the way, pre-season. Yep, me too. Um, is my prediction. Um They've got, they've got five points from their last 13 games. No wins in 13 at all. Like you said, it's the same that their last win came on the same night we beat Cambridge. Um, like if this wasn't Charlton Athletic and it was any other team, you'd be going into this full of confidence thinking, well, they've signed loads of players, yes, but it's, they're, they're not going to have gelled yet. They've got a new manager who's not going to have a chance to implement his style on the game on the team yet. This is a really good opportunity for us to go ahead and really pick up a, a good another win on the road. Like you go in this probably even expecting three points but it's charlton and yeah. they are under they're underachieving in terms of the underlying numbers not significantly but they are underachieving 
Um, going forward, they are like one of the better teams in the league still in terms of the underlying numbers. Defending defensively, they are one of one of the worst for the underlying numbers. So they, their games have a lot of goals. They create a lot of chances on the whole. They concede a lot of chances on the whole. Um, that didn't really change too much against Reading when they lost 2-0 on Saturday. Um, they only actually had one shot on target against Reading. So, yeah, maybe at the extent of trying to be a little bit more defensively solid, they lost a little bit of their attacking intent. But they also lost, despite Alfie May being... I don't know if he still is, but he certainly was one of the um, top goal scorers in the league recently. I don't think he was the most important player for them going forward. I think it was Corey Blackett-Taylor almost created every single chance they created. And he's gone to Derby. That's a real loss for them in terms of their attacking output. Um, they've signed nine players in the January transfer window. It's almost a whole team. And I just struggle to see that that's going to gel yet. But on paper, it's a really, really good team. If you're playing football manager and you turn on and you start to save a Charlton with a squad they've got right now, you're going to have a squad <laughs> for finishing in the top six. Um, but they're, they're just one place above the relegation zone on the same points as Port Vale. And Port Vale have got two games in hand over them, that one place directly below them. They are in the mire. They are yeah. really in the mire. Um, but we're playing them at a time where they've got a new manager. You're hoping for, it was their first game under Nathan Jones, first home game under Nathan Jones on Tuesday night. It's going to be... An, Probably a little bit of a small amount of positivity and that feeling of something fresh at the Valley compared to maybe it would have been a couple of weeks ago. It's really difficult to predict this one. So I don't know, I don't know what to say other than in, it's just it's an interesting one, isn't it? In their defence, so they played a Reading side who are in a false league position uh, and have been on a really good run. Before that, they played Derby, promotion chasing. Lost 1 0. Blackpool promotion chasing drew 1 all. Northampton been massively in form of late, lost 3 2 to a last minute goal. Burton, who have been in form coming into playing us, who you won a few games, they lost that. Peterborough, they lost that as well. So you have to go back. I mean, Port Vale on the sixth wasn't a great result, but it was 3 3. They didn't get beat. Oxford beat them 2 1. Bristol Rovers beat them. So two teams again that have either climbed the table or were right up there. Late Orient on Boxing Day, who were the informed team. I mean, I don't know really know how far you have to go back before you can say they actually played struggling teams. Cambridge on the 9th of December, 2-2. Cheltenham on the 28th of November that they won. Carlisle, 25th of November that they drew. I, I love the XG table that I put out. The XG table, and this for those who are listening, and Jack is going to be running his marathon distances at the minute and he's going to be feeling quite sick after being running for 51 minutes, no doubt, if I certainly would. And now I'm going to talk about XG. So the XG table reimagines the table basing results on XG. So, for instance, yesterday the XG was 2.2 to 1 point something. So that would be a 2-1 Lincoln win, as it actually was. But if it had been like a – if we had got 6 XG and Fleetwood had got – Two, it would be six two rather than two one. Charlton are seventh in that table. Mm -hmm. So based on the chances that they've created and the chances that they've faced, in theory, not in practice, they should be seventh, three points outside the top six. So it's quite right. And when you run down some of their players, I mean, for me, it's a who's who of players that I would quite like to have signed for Lincoln City. Panucci Camera, who was at Crawley, was at Notts County. Not Notts County. He was super Plymouth. 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 Was the lad that was at Crawley and went to Notts County? Boudouin, Boudouin, whatever his name was. They were both at Crawley together, weren't they? And the Harry Kibble. Mm -hmm. 
Panucci camera, really like him. Freddie Ladapo, a player who I, I like to hate. Another one that was at Plymouth, another one that's done well. Alfie May, you've mentioned Connor Coventry, rumours they've paid a million for. Um, Backinson, is it Tyler Backinson in midfield? Tyreek Backinson. Tyreek, yeah. was he at Chef Wednesday? Yeah. Good player. Tenai Watson, fullback linked with us, was at MK Dons. Good player. Teo Eden, we know what he's all about. The boy Thomas, he was the defender, was he? Was he the guy that was at Burton? Oh, no, it's Terrell Thomas, isn't it? I'm thinking of Thomas Smells. Just, you know what? Like you say, you turn football manager on, you get that squad, you're winning the league. And if there have been no games played and you just put all the squads in League One in front of me and said, who's finishing where, I'd still have Charlton in the top six. It absolutely baffles me as to how they are where they are. And I know what many people's answer would be, by the way. Michael Appleton. <laughs> yeah, good point. Good point. And I, I don't think it's just him because they were they had a weakness at the start of the season which which caused um, Michael Appleton to get the job in the first place. You know, he wasn't here at the start of the season. He's obviously clearly wasn't a good fit. Things seemed to go sour there with the fan base almost immediately, to be honest. So, yeah, that, that was almost like an a hard into nothing. And you like to think that with, well, hopefully after Tuesday, um, getting someone that knows the club in, because I think it's a real coup, by the way, getting in Nathan Jones, because I think he's a really good manager. I think he's got, had got kind of bad PR at the moment because of some of how he just conducted himself at, at Southampton. But as a manager, he's a good, there's no denying he's a good manager. He's had success. Well, he's had success at Luton, in fairness, and nowhere else. But um, he's, a, he's he knows Charlton well. So you think there's, there's an element of trying to get a bit of connectivity back there at the club. I just hope it doesn't happen on Tuesday. Um, but what's also worth pointing out, though, is um, you mentioned the XG table. And I, as you know, I'm a big fan of XG. use it as, as, a, as, a, as a descriptor quite a lot. But it doesn't tell the whole story because what XG doesn't tell you is game state. So Charlton conceded the first goal a lot, which then means that they are likely to be the team that is on the ascendancy, that needs to attack, that needs to create a chances, whereas other teams can sit deeper and defend and then just pick them off a little bit. Um, so, yeah, they conceded the first goal in games a lot this season. So that might have a small element to do with the, the numbers, but also... This is a different team now that, that generated those numbers. They've signed nine players in January. You know, it's a completely different Charlton Athletic that created those numbers in the first place. So I think it's worth pointing out in terms of that they're, they're pretty good attacking or have been throughout the season. The numbers maybe suggest that they're in a false position. But that was a different that was a different team. This is a brand new team that's only had one game so far, really, under Nathan Jones and, and the new players in, which makes it really difficult to predict. But if it, as I go back to my original point, if this wasn't Charlton Athletic and if it was any other smaller club that didn't have the history or the stature that Charlton Athletic had, that were in the same run they're on, they've just got a new manager, signed nine new new players, I go into this really confident. So I probably should be going into this confident. I'm not, actually. I'm going in with thinking a point is a great result. Let's move on to another game next weekend against Exeter at home. But maybe we should be asking ourselves for more than that. So if games ended at half time, Charlton would be twenty first, and we'd be thirteenth. So in terms of the first half, it'd be quite interesting. Um, if only goals by English players counted. <laughs> Are we bottom of the league? <laughs> uh, Charlton would be fifth, and we would be thirteenth. Oh, thirteenth. Well, 
So it's quite interesting. I just think um, our team seems to be made up entirely of Danish, Irish, and Scottish players. So. <laughs> <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Um, yeah, I, just, I find it interesting. They're slightly better at home than they are away. I think they're 17th in the home table and 21st in the away table. So the Valley is a, a slightly um, tough place to go to. They are, just have a look, home table, goals scored, Charlton uh, are fifth in the division. So they've scored 28 home goals. Um, which is interesting. And away, we are 18th with 14 goals away from home. So we're we're right down there. So goals aren't a major problem, I don't think, um, from them. Points from losing positions. We talked about Charlton and, and conceding the first goal, but actually um, they've won three and drawn nine from losing positions uh, and have got 18 points after conceding the first goal, which is interesting. But they are fourth from bottom for goals scored first in games, so they do tend to concede first, but it doesn't Which necessarily, might, yeah. That might and that might skew the XG table a little bit yeah. because, like I said, they're, they're then having to go and attack. It seems that they're quite good at actually then going and attacking and getting themselves back in games if they do concede the first goal. But and actually, Joe, you know, points from losing positions, um, we've got 14, two wins, and that, is good. Draws. that is pretty good considering we haven't conceded the first goal that often. And we've often had said to ourselves, if we do concede the first goals, we struggle to get anything from the game. So it yeah. shows that the, the perception is sometimes a little different to the reality again. But what I would say as well about Charlton, I think there's the lack of stability. Mm. So they're a big club. Make no mistake about it. This is a club that should be knocking on the door of the Premier League, not struggling against dropping into League Two. But since 2021, so since this act, Lee Bowyer, who I think took them, or Lee Bowyer left, didn't he? I don't think they sacked him, so he left. So since then, Johnny Jackson was caretaker. Nigel Adkins came in. He didn't see out the year. Johnny Jackson was caretaker. He then got the job. 2022, he's gone. Ben Garner comes in, doesn't see out the year. Dean Holden comes in, 22 to 23. He's then gone at the beginning of this season. Appleton comes in. He's now gone, Nathan Jones. They've just lurched from one kind of odd decision, in my opinion, to another. If you're Charlton Athletic and you're appointing Nigel Adkins, Ben Garner and Dean Holden, who none of them had got the previous track record of success. They were going back over names. I mean, Ben Garner, he was crap at Bristol Rovers and they booted him and he got relegated. Dean Holden had got a real, a really average um, record. They've made bad decisions. They had a terrible owner in Roland something or other a few years ago. Chatelet, was it? Yeah, something like Chatelet, something like that. Um, but the, the new guys that are taken over, I, I've just, I don't know, I'm not feeling it. I'm going to be honest, and this might be uh, something that somebody clips up and, and kind of pokes me within a year or so's time. I don't think Nathan Jones is going to be a success here because I think with Nathan Jones, there is an element, first of all, of him being the one club man, like a Michael Flynn. Like in, uh, I mean, Eddie House kind of proven differently now, but that kind of Michael Flynn... John Col- Joe Coleman, uh, John Coleman rather, Keith Hill. Do you know what I mean? Go somewhere else, kind of struggles. He has failed at two clubs, Southampton and Stoke. He has done well at Luton, but Luton have also done well without him. So let's not put all, everything on the head coach and let's think about the whole club. Luton have carried on being a success beyond Nathan Jones. So it's as much what is existing at the club as the head coach. If they'd gone downhill when he left and picked up when he got back, fair enough. There's an element to me. Of the Danny and Nicky about it, and I love Dan and Nick. You know that, 
but there's a time where you rise and there's a time where all of a sudden you are now not that kind of rising star and like Dan and Nick are now at Colchester I think they got beat yesterday by Harrogate it's a tough thing for them to do they've ended up back in league two they've had to go back to the the bottom they they whether you think they were a success or not at Huddersfield, personally, I do think they did well there. But And then Portsmouth, Nathan Jones, for me, is that. He looks like a brilliant appointment at this level. I'm not convinced. Mm. I'm not convinced. If it was, if he'd gone to a different club other than Charlton, I think I'd probably hasten to agree with you. I think Charlton, because Charlton is a club he, he kind of came through at. And also, side note, he's, he's now also named as assistant manager, which is Paul Hart like a real Charlton man, which also means we're likely to not lose Chris Cohen, who had been his um, assistant at Luton and Southampton. So that we can put those fears to bed now, I think. But I think from a Charlton perspective, they're probably trying to get a, a good a good manager on paper, at least. There's no denying his track record. If you're looking at just results, certainly at Luton, there's no denying there's some talent there. Um, someone that you'd like to think has a, an affinity with the club. So the whole, not one club man as such, because he obviously hasn't been, but that mentality maybe alongside Paul Hart. Maybe they're trying to put an element of that together. But I think the point you made about Luton is really important about that they've been a massive success without him. And I think that's credit to the structure behind the scenes at Luton. The, the, the club has got a real good structure that's allowed them to punch above their weight for a number of seasons now. And that started before Nathan Jones was the manager. That started all the way back down the National League when they started their rise again. Um, one, of, one of ours, go on. A question for you. Mm-hmm. How many promotions was Nathan Jones in charge of at Luton? Two. One. From League, League Two. League One. Yep. Because <laughs> League One he had left and that was Mick Harhood and obviously the last one was Rob Edwards. Another question, his win rate at Luton wasn't actually, he's, he's the second spell at Luton, his win rate wasn't all that better than his win rate at Charlton. At, um, sorry, at Southampton. So his win rate at Southampton was 35%, won five, lost nine of 14. His win rate at Luton second time was 40, won 54, lost 42, drew 37. Interesting. One last point about the structure behind the scenes, by the way. I think, I think Luton clearly have had that, otherwise they wouldn't have continued to, to thrive without him. I think that's one of the biggest, one of the biggest strengths of our football club is that we're quite, um, I would say, ahead of the curve in our structure behind the scenes. Charlton aren't. I think they're, they're, they're going from manager to manager to manager to manager without that real structure behind the scenes that that is really joined up. There's no, you see the names that they've had and the style of football that those managers are synonymous with. There's no real linked up and joined up thinking there. They are, like you say, just going from one to another to another, almost like one disaster to the next. So you often find that when there's disorganisation in the boardroom and kind of at the, those kind of higher levels of the club, that does translate throughout the club and it often translates onto the pitch it's it's probably the not it's the anomaly of the clubs that perform despite that rather than the other way around so yeah Charlton are a big club Charlton are a club I don't have quite a lot of respect for to be honest but yeah I like quite like um they're in a mess at the moment and I'm just really hoping that despite the fact it's Nathan Jones's first home game at the Valley like things going to be an element of positivity there compared to how it had been over the last few weeks, that they are still disorganised. They haven't had the chance to put a plan together for training uh, in terms of like a match plan. Loads of new players embed- bedding into the squad. There's a lot of uncertainty there at the moment. And I'm just really hoping that we can capitalise that on that on Tuesday because I certainly think we've got the potential to do so. But there is one big um, 
potential omission from the Tuesday game, which might hinder our match plan a little bit in terms of just like go again with the same system, is that Conor McGrandles is very likely to be unavailable to play yeah. against his parent team. And we don't know the situation of Ethan Hamilton's fitness. So that might mean that we have to play um, our midfield two of Ted and Ethan Arahan and maybe tweak our system a little to, to kind of cater for that, which will mean we might be less polished than we have been over the last couple of, well, certainly there were yesterday. So, yeah, that'll be interesting. But I'm, I'm going into this, and I feel like I say it's quite regular. I'm going to this reasonably confident. Um, so what's your but prediction? Actually, uh, uh, one all. <laughs> what I'm saying, I'm going reasonably confident um, because the, the stats and the numbers are telling me I should be, but I actually feel less confident than those numbers maybe suggest that I should. But I'm still confident enough that we're going to not lose, basically. I Perfect. think we're not going to lose, but we can win. I am going to go for one all draw as well. And I think that'd be a good result. I think we said at, at the beginning of this little run of uh, matches, and it was it a five match spell. So it's um, it was Burton, it was Fleetwood, six, Charlton. Six games. Yeah, it was Burton, Fleetwood, Charlton, Exeter, Port Vale and Shrewsbury. And we were saying sort of 12, 12 points from those would be good. Well, we've got half of those points already. Um I think Shrewsbury's a, a game that on the 27th we can really go and attack that Tuesday night. I, I fancy us home to Exeter as well. So you, really, Charlton and Port Vale are away are free hits. Um, especially if Port Vale, have, I mean, if Port Vale have, haven't got a manager by then as well. It's, you know, so we're in a good place. We're on a good run. We're five games unbeaten. We've conceded uh, one goal in our last four games. And that was one that we gifted. So, we are coming to the end of the Stacey West podcast, number 274. I hope you've enjoyed it, but Chris has got his finger up, so he wants to say something else. Not directly related to Lincoln City, but isn't it just really pleasing that Peterborough United lost another cup final this weekend? <laughs> Do you know what? The Real EFL uh, Twitter account, which I don't have anything to do with, have been absolutely relentless about Peterborough's Cup finals. Um, and this morning, we, we have like a Discord chat where all of the writers put their article ideas and somebody put something like um, three reasons why XXX team will go up. And I, for a joke, and we have Keelan, who's a Peterborough fan and a lovely lad um, in the chat. And I suggested that he write um, five cup finals Peterborough need to win before the end of the season. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I keep having that going around in my head, that posh, posh are falling apart again. So, yeah, it is nice. And you know what else is nice? I don't normally pay a lot of attention to um, leagues that we're not in because I kind of think there's not a lot of point. But I've been paying quite a lot of attention to the League 2 relegation spot. And Forest Green are nine points from safety at the moment with just two home wins all season. And nothing delights me more. Oh, it, it doesn't. What goes around comes around, eh? Oh, With Mr. Dale Vince. Yeah, it is. It really is. And getting and out of League One was going to be such such a doddle, wasn't it, for Forest Green all those years ago? And oh, it's that it bottom, is that, funny. That bottom four, like you've got Forest Green bottom on 20, they're doomed. Sutton on 22, unless they can find something, they are doomed as well. They must be spitting feathers because next to uh, Colchester on 29, with Ali Smith, who was the jewel in Sutton's crown last season, now actually looking to send them down. Then you've got Grimsby on 29. And how bad Grimsby are is 
a surprise and mm. immense comfort to me. Um, it is. <laughs> I agree. I, it, I agree totally. It really, I mean, they lost 3-1 to Stockport yesterday. They've drawn 0-0 with Accrington, lost 2-1 to Tranmere, drew 5-5 with Notts County, lost 6-1. I mean, they conceded 11 goals in two games at the beginning of January. It's brilliant. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> it is. It is. Um, oh. Another player, a person that actually loved scoring against Grimsby because he hit a hat-trick at Blundell Park is Simon Yeo. I'm going to be interviewing Simon Yeo on Tuesday. Um, for the next episode of the Stacey Weston Former Players Association podcast. So that should be great. If you have any questions, drop me an email at gazhutch88 at gmail.com. I can't promise to put all of them to Simon. I'm not going to ask him about, oh, what did it feel like to score the winning goal against Torquay? Or, or well, it was a drawing goal. We want to try and get into a couple of other things. I'm quite interested to know about his time in New Zealand and how he felt walking off the pitch when he was sent off on the first game of the season against Oxford after being the hero a few months before. But he's bound to be good. So keep an eye out for that later in the week. We have been the Stacey West podcast. It's the 274th time that you've tuned in. And I'm absolutely certain there have been very few um, episodes as good as this. Uh, my pundit was all right. Next week, I'm sure that my pundit is going to be even better, whoever it is, because that's the I Bruce. Think it's me again. Is it you again? Well, he'll be better than he was last week. That's the Bruce Forsyth way. You always look forward. You always get better. And hopefully next week we'll be sitting here talking about an even better result than a 2-1 win against Fleetwood. Let's go for a 3-0 against Exeter. In the meantime, all that there is to be said is up the imps. Up the imps. The 90th minute and all your mates around watching the imps on iFollow. You've got your McNugget share boxes on the go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping, but then you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.